enjoy these last uh, eight months journeying with all of you as you have come to make this new community that we know as Port Kells Church. And as the eight months have gone by, I've gotten to know some of you, not all of you. And obviously that takes time to have individual coffees, not just a, a quick hi, how you're doing uh, in the lobby. But one thing that I know about all of us in the room this morning, no matter who you are, if you consider yourself a human being, is this, you talk. You talk. We like to talk. A major portion of our lives is actually made up of talk. Some of you uh, I know uh, can't stop talking. Like you just love talking. Like we get into a conversation and you know the person. I'm not thinking about anybody in particular, but they just keep talking and talking and talking and they don't pause to take a breath to let you get in something in the conversation, right? You know those people. But there's also some of you that don't like to talk at all. Actually, you only talk as much as you need to get by in life. And that's okay. Also, one author puts it like this, though. You can hardly identify a more formative aspect of our daily lives than our words, our talk, our conversations. It's something that no matter who you are, you need to do daily, and that's communicate one researcher said that uh, one-fifth of our lives is spent talking. Just think about that. One-fifth of your life, that's years, people, is spent just talking. I don't know how many books you could fill with that amount of words, but it's a lot. James, knowing this, talking to human beings back then in this culture and talking to us today, is going to emphasize for us this morning something that I think a lot of us don't even think about. Something that we do so often, something that we're so used to that we don't put a lot of thought or effort even into. But really what he wants to get to the bottom of this morning is why our words matter. He wants us to understand that our words are not or never neutral. He wants us to figure out together as we look at this text that our words actually show us a lot about who we are and how we live out this life. James starts off this section with, I would say, one of the most encouraging verses. Now, many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Reading this passage this week, I was like, great. <laughs> it's kind of too late for me. Pretty much most of my vocation uh, has me teaching in this aspect. Um, I was actually thinking about Dan, and I was like, hey, Dan, you know what? From now on, why don't you just preach and teach it? But what is James saying here, right? Obviously, we know in a church of any sort, you need teachers. You need Bible teachers. You need people to open the Word of God for us and explain it. So why is he saying this as we get going this morning? Well, we need to understand what's going on in this original community, right? As we've been working through this book, we've been understanding that there have been different teachings, false teachings that have come about. Some teachings have to do with favoritism, how they were favoring the rich over the poor. And we talked about how that was wrong. So again, James is trying to correct that. Dan last week was talking about how some teaching has come into this church where it said that, hey, you have faith even if you don't have actions, meaning faith without actions is still faith. And 
James is saying like, no, that's not true. Faith without actions is actually dead. It's not live faith. It's not a true faith in Jesus. So again, he is warning the teachers. Any teacher that is trying to teach in this community, be careful what you say. Why? Because we know this. It's common sense that teachers in our world, in our culture, have great influence, right? Especially in the church. In the church, the position of teacher or pastor comes with great influence. It's a position in this community that people were seeking after. You got to think about that, right? It's a, it's a community where people, not a lot of people read in this community back then, right? So it's a highly sought after position of honor, of prestige. They would call um, their teachers back then in this Jewish culture rabbis, and with these rabbis came about a following. But what James is trying to emphasize is the weight and the responsibility that comes with this role, that comes with this call. And of course, it applies to teachers within the church. But I would say it applies to teachers of all sorts, of any kind, in this world, in this culture that we're living in. You as a school teacher, you as a leader at your workplace, or in the government, or anything in between, you as a parent. Because we need to understand this, our words influence, right? I think all of us in the room can think of a memory, if you will, of words that have influenced our life by a teacher. My mind quickly goes to grade 11 and 12. I had this one English teacher, and for some reason she didn't like me. Okay, maybe it's because I had horrible grammar, Kelly. But <laughs> for some reason, she would always tell me that I wasn't good at writing. I wasn't good at communication. Maybe I was a little cocky in her class, but she would just make it a point to cut me down every chance she got. But in high school, I was an athlete. So like every challenge in my life, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to train really hard. I'm going to study really hard and I'm going to prove her wrong. So at the end of that uh, school year in grade 12, I did really well in the provincial and I actually scored one of the highest in my class. I thought that was the end of it, okay? Her comments, her biting comments, I thought that was the end of her words. But this is how words have power. Years later, when I found myself stumbling into ministry, when I found myself preaching and teaching something that I never wanted to do, because like most of us, I hate public speaking. But as I moved into this role, I understood I had some deep insecurities hidden inside my head and my heart when it came to communication, when it came to writing. And I quickly realized one service that I went up for prayer so that God would heal me of these insecurities, of these words that did damage to me from my teacher. Some of you right now are maybe thinking of Words that have been told to you, have been said to you, that have damaged you in some way, that have made you insecure in some way. Maybe it's you that regrets the words that you have said to someone that might have influenced them in a negative way, be it from a, a perspective of a teacher or how you influence their lives. Here's the point. It's really simple. Words have power. Words are never neutral. 
Proverbs, a book of the Bible that definitely influenced James as he writes this. One commentator summarizes like this. You could summarize the whole book of Proverbs like this. Words give life. Words bring death. You choose. Words bring life. Words bring death. You choose. Every time you open your mouth, you are choosing. Your words have influence if you know it or now. Nowadays, I think it's really impertinent to emphasize this because everyone and their mother is a teacher, right? Like you name that social media platform that somebody jumps on to gain influence of some sort, deeming themselves an expert on whatever the topic, right? Be it politics or how to bake cookies or whatever in between, right? And the thing is, lots of us are vying for this position of teacher in this world. And it's actually easier to do this than any other time in history. But my worry isn't so much about you becoming an influencer online. My worry is about us taking in teaching of scripture or uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the division of scripture or the explanation of scripture of any sort by any means and just taking it for face value not delving into what is being said. And that's what I think James is saying here when he's saying, hey, listen, when it comes to being a teacher, specifically teaching the word of God, specifically teaching a scripture, be careful. Why? Because he knows that we as human beings aren't perfect, right? He knows as human beings, we'll trip up on our words. We'll say the wrong thing. We'll get it in the wrong order. We'll get the fact wrong. You know, Dan and me both know this, no matter how hard we try and how super careful we are to not say a wrong thing, we'll probably get something wrong, right? That's why it's really important that you get into your Bible for yourself. That everything that is said up here, you take and you test it in Scripture for yourself. Asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what is truth. James knows this. As humans, we get things wrong. That's why he says this. We, we, he is including himself as we start off verse two. He's addressing teachers, but he's also moving to people in general when he talks about the words that we use, when he says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. There's that word again, perfect. Talios. Quick recap. Quick recap. Remember what we were saying earlier uh, in the series. Telios, This word. It means it's the main theme of the book of James, right? It means morally perfect. It means genuine or being true. It means physically perfect. It means being complete or finished. It means being ma- mature in one's behavior. It means being an adult. It means being initiated into a community of belief. Or the word that we are using. It means to be whole. This whole book of James is helping you strive towards wholeness, to live your life with integrity. And the only one that was perfect that modeled this for us is Jesus. And what James is trying to say here is a sign that you are maturing as a Christian. Another sign, if you will, that you are actually following Jesus is your tongue. It's your words. It's how you talk. 
So this morning, Fort Cal's church, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with our words? How are we doing with our talk? Right? How many of us would like maybe the last month's um, conversations be recorded that we've had and then played on the sound system behind me for everybody to hear, right? Let the words of God speak into your life this morning, right? I don't expect any of us to put up our hands because again, as James said, we all stumble, we all make mistakes, right? Nobody will ever speak perfectly or ever say the wrong thing, right? I was even thinking about this this morning. Would I want this morning's conversations, right? played on the sound system this morning because for some reason i don't know about you but every time we go to church me and my spouse like to fight right <laughs> i'm not saying that happened this morning because i got out of that house really quick <laughs> but what is it with our tongues with our words right when it comes to following jesus james is emphasizing you know you are following jesus well by your words just look at your words just look at how you talk. He's saying, if you can't control your tongue, you actually don't have control in any other area of your life. That's what he means by the whole body, a.k.a. your life. If you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, James talking to Christians says in chapter 1 that your religion is actually useless. So why does he say all this? Well, he illustrates it for us very quickly when he says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. I remember one time uh, when me and my wife were living in White Rock in this small basement suite. I was in one other room away from the kitchen and all of a sudden I hear a glass break and a loud scream. So I come running in to see my wife just propped up against like the doorpost, not moving, totally paralyzed in some sense, and just like in agony and excruciating pain. And I'm like, what's wrong? What happened? She's like, well, a glass broke, obviously, because it's all over the floor. I started sweeping it up, but I stepped on a piece of glass. The problem was when she showed me her foot, I couldn't see a thing. Like I was like, there's no cut, there's no opening, there's no piece of glass. Like I, I expected like a huge piece of glass to get on her foot. There was like nothing. But she was in excruciating pain. Like she couldn't move. So we went to the hospital really quick. And sure enough, one of the doctors took out this really small piece of glass like you could barely see it with the naked eye obviously it was clear but at the same time it was really small and i was like wow what extraordinary power this small object had over her whole body that's what james is saying here that was james is trying to reiterate and paint a picture for us james is getting at describing how small the tongue is but how disproportionate it is, the power that it can have over us. By saying the bit 
that controls a horse's mouth, like a small piece that can control this huge beast, right? Or a huge ship controlled and directed by a rudder at the bottom of the boat that goes into the water, right? The words you say guide your whole body. Your words you say direct your life. There's a double narrative going on here. Remember, he's talking to teachers like individuals that are influencing the community, but he's also talking to you and me, individuals that can influence the community also by our words. He's in emphasizing this is important to get. We need to check our words. The tongue can corrupt all of life, whether an individual or a, a, a person in the community. As one pastor says, your words have direction to them right? Your words are either directing to life or your words are directing to death. As I said earlier, he says, if your words are moving in the life direction, they will be words of encouragement, hope, love, peace, unity, instruction, wisdom, and correction. But if your words are moving to death in that direction, there'll be words of slander, judgment, gossip, jealousy, division, contempt, racism, violence, condemnation. Your words are powerful. How powerful are they? Well, James paints another picture for us when he says, likewise, the tongue is small, small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. When he says boasts, he's talking about the great things that such a small part of the body can do. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. Sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And is itself set on fire by hell. For us living in BC, it doesn't take much for us to be able to grasp what James is saying, right? We just have to think about the forest fires going on in this moment. And we get a picture of destruction that these fires do, are doing right now in this moment, comparing them to words, he's saying your words can destroy. Your words can become, bring destruction. It just takes a small spark, a loose remark, a sharp word, an angry remark, and you could bring, bring destruction on someone's life, into someone's life. And most of us know this well, right? Forget the way uh, of the words that are used in uh, media and our bigger culture out there, right? Like one small comment or angry comment or critical comment on Facebook can lead to somebody committing suicide. Forget that. Let's bring it closer to home. Just think about the last time that you were in a fight. Be it with a parent or your kid or your spouse or a loved one, a family member, somebody at work. Maybe they were getting really angry at you, right? Saying all the words that pushed all your buttons, especially if you knew them really well. Not allowing you to get a word in as the volume of the conversation grew louder and louder and louder. Have you been there? In that moment, I'm not sure about you, but if, depending on how well I know that person, all of a sudden there's a thought in my head, like a word comes to mind. 
that I know that if I said this word or if I said this sentence and I said it in this exact way, I could cut this person down. I could tell them in a word to shut up. In a word, I can dismiss them all together. Right? As James says, we all stumble in many ways. As a human, no one is perfect. This experience we've probably all had at one moment in time in an argument. It's too familiar to us. If there's at least one sin that is common to all human beings, it's the sin of the tongue. No matter if you're a good person or not, we all have stumbled when it comes to our words, and don't we? But this is why it's so important to get as Christians to be self-aware of our words and to be cautious before we speak. Because James, in those moments that those destructive thoughts, those destructive words that can cut down somebody come to mind, he wants us to remind us where the source of the destructiveness comes from. The source of that thought, that word that will cut down, the source of the spark, if you will. That's why he says, going back to verse 6, that he says, and speaking of the tongue or words that destroy, he says, and is itself set on fire by hell. And is itself set on fire by hell. Speaking of the tongue, what might be hard for us to grasp at first wasn't for this original audience. As soon as he said that, this Jewish community would have jumped to this energy source of destruction that they knew all too well. The tongue that sets on fire is set on fire itself by hell. James is using biblical uh, uh, imagery and this term uh, called Gehenna. The background reference for this word right away, this Jewish community would have thought of the Valley of Hinnom on the southern outskirts of the city of Jerusalem. This is where they burnt their garbage it would be constantly burning at all times. He's trying to evoke in them this picture of a pile of trash that is burning all this time. A pile of destruction. A place of evil. He's, he is reminding them that this place, all of this community would have known that some people that didn't follow the one true God, Yahweh, but followed other gods and other idols at, at times would go to this place to sacrifice children to the demonic god Moloch. That what is trying to conjure up in their minds. Remembering this imagery, he's saying, whenever we speak destructive words, that's what we need to think of. That is the source. The uncontrolled tongue is being directed and guided by the evil one that lives there, that has dominion in this place. As one pastor says, words that bring about destruction mimic Satan. In this respect, who, having rebelled against the God of peace, can never settle. He goes about the, the earth to and fro, as it says in Job 1.7 and 2.2, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, as it says in 1 Peter 5.8. The tongue that is under his lordship always shares that tendency. It has an inbuilt need to guard its own territory, to destroy its rivals to itself, to be the king of the beast. Harsh words used in this way always are us trying to put ourselves before others, are always us acting in a selfish way. One of the main ways the evil one infiltrates our lives is when we are careless with our words. 
when we use destructive words that tear down, when we spread rumors, when we make judgment calls not knowing the context, when we criticize and fight. And if you aren't discouraged already, James throws this in in verse 7 and 8, my paraphrase, that human beings, we can control animals, Tiger King everybody, right? But we can't control the tongue. But here's the kicker. Starting in verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise, like we just sung in the worship songs, but also cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear frig figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. First, to get what he's saying, we need to understand he is talking to a community like ours. A worship gathering. Where they get together and sing songs of praise when they encourage one another. That is the context. And what he's saying, that pray, you can't praise God and curse your neighbor at the same time. That doesn't make any sense. There's an incongruency to that behavior. He's saying, if you're truly a Christian, how can hate speech come out of your mouth against people in your own community or let alone people outside the walls of your worship gathering? James is saying, if living water, the Holy Spirit has truly come into your life because you've given your life to Jesus and transformed you from the inside out, how can salty language also come out of that same mouth? A fig tree doesn't bear olives. A grapevine doesn't bear figs. As a Christian who is rooted and planted in Christ, you can't bear bad fruit. You shouldn't bear bad fruit. You should bear fruit that is congruent with your new nature, your new life that has been given to you. Put simply, if Jesus is the vine and you are the branch and you are following him and you're abiding in him, you will produce fruit that is consistent with the source, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. James is echoing his older brother Jesus here when he said in Luke 6, 43 to 45, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, your words actually reveal the state of your heart. Your words reveal the condition of your heart. Just like bad fruit comes from a, a bad tree, an un, unregenerate heart produces destructive words, words that produce death. This is another test that James is throwing our way. If you want to know if your faith is alive, if your faith in Jesus is real, like I say to my kids all the time, watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. James put it like this in chapter one. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Be careful when you speak. 
What do people hear when you talk? What type of witness are you bringing forth when you open your mouth? If you meet my dad who comes here, I don't know where he is this morning, but um, you'll quickly figure out that he's not from here. You'll quickly figure out that even though most of his life uh, he lived in the United States, uh, we, me and my sister were born in California, and then we moved up here to Canada and he lived the rest of his life here, you'll quickly realize by the accent that he speaks with that he's originally from India. There's a way that he talks, right? There's a way that sentences come off his lips that will quickly tell you that he is foreign to this land. Friends, there's the way that you talk to people inside of this community and outside this community, carry about it an accent, if you will, that tells people that this is not your home, that you belong to another kingdom, that you serve another king whose name is Jesus, who came to this earth to live a perfect life in our place, because remember, we all stumble, we die, who died a death in our place because the wages of sin is death, but on the third day rose from the dead, making us for us a way with our words when we confess that he is Lord and with our words surrender our life to him, giving him control of our lives. He gives us a new life. He gives us a new heart, getting to the root of the problem. The only way that you solve your word problem is by getting a new heart, purifying the source. James says it like this in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Jesus is the word of truth. Yes, Jesus is our example, but first and foremost, he needs to be your savior. During Jesus' trials and the event leading up to him dying on the cross for our sins, He's put in front of his accusers. He's put in front of people that have the seat of judgment that can, that can say that he's guilty or he's not guilty. Have you ever wondered in those scenes, if you read them in your Bible, why is Jesus silent? Like, why doesn't he say anything? When Jesus is standing there silent, is there more to what he's doing in that moment that meets the eye? One author says, yes, indeed there is. He was silent because every word that has proceeded from your lips, because of every word that provides adequate reason for God to, to damn us for all eternity, because we have cursed him or his image. The Lord Jesus came into the world to bear the judgment of God against the sin of our tongues. When he stood before the high priest and the judgment seat of Pontius Pilate, he accepted a sentence of guilt, but that was your guilt. That was my guilt. He bore in his body on the tree the sins of my lips and my tongue. Do you wish you could control your tongue better? Do you want to follow the example of Jesus? Then you need to understand that he has to be your savior first. Then he can be your example. You need to come 
to a conscious realization of the sin of your lips and say with your words, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I thank you that Jesus came and was silent in order that he may bear the penalty of all my misuse of my tongue. And when you know that God, in the form of Jesus, has taken his judgment and his wrath against your every sinful world, a word upon himself, taken the punishment that you deserved upon himself, you cannot help but say, as the psalmist said, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing the praises of my Redeemer. So as we close this morning, we're going to pray. There's a couple ways that we can respond this morning. I think the easiest one is to challenge all, all of us that for the next week, why don't we be wary of our words? Why don't we actually assess the way that we talk to one another here in this community as God is forming us into a new community, but at the same time in the relationships outside of these walls? as we represent Jesus, as we reflect who he is to the watching world around us. So as I pray this morning, I'm simply going to ask the Holy Spirit, before we sing this next song, to bring to mind maybe something that you need to bring to the foot of the cross this morning. Maybe a confession that you need to make. Maybe something that you need to be healed of. So why don't we pray this morning?